Standard Issue for all women. Oh, hey. Welcome to episode 27 of the Standard Issue podzine. I'm Mickey Noonan, and I once sent an email to all of my contacts that read, Hello there. All the best, Mickey Noonan. Nice. I'm Hannah Dunleavy, and this week I knocked a cup of tea over with my tits. Oh, so nice. <laughs> and I'm Jen Offord, and I have sugar in my nose, on my cheekbone, and possibly a little bit in my beard. Sweet. Later on, Nadine McBay shares a poetic look at her experiences of living with MS. Angela Barnes talks news, comedy and indeed combining the two. And I do Disney's Chicken Little. How are you feeling about that, Hannah? (laughs) (laughs) But first, Muses, Loons and Ketty Katie. It's time for the Bush Telegraph. Cue Sting. Bush Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph, where we stick our noses into things. Although not Donald Trump's bumhole. But talking of prized shit pipes, the Harvey Weinstein sexual misconduct bus that's been trudding along since October picked up speed again this weekend. Uma Thurman is the latest actor to accuse the Miramax mogul, whose studio bankrolled Pulp Fiction and Kill Bill, the Quentin Tarantino films that made Thurman a superstar, of sexual assault, asserting that Weinstein attacked her at the Savoy in London. Weinstein continues to deny all allegations of assault and has, in fact floated the idea of legal action against Thurman. I mean, you'd be impressed by the brass cojones of the man if he wasn't such a despicable waste of skin. So yeah, all of this is horrific enough, but there's more. There's what Thurman describes as, quote, the Quentin of it all. Ah, Quentin Tarantino, a man famous for making cinematic bloodbaths with sharp-talking characters and a lot of dead women, and acting like a hyperactive kid on a big day out to the sugar shop, is apparently, in a revelation that will surprise exactly no one, a sadistic jebend. Following Pulp Fiction, Tarantino started referring to Thurman as his, quote, muse. You know, the ultimate male artist accessory. More of a metaphor than a flesh-and-blood woman, really. So he can do what he wants with her. To her, in the name of art like nearly killer. In her interview with the New York Times, Thurman details an incident from the set of Kill Bill, where Tarantino forced her to drive what she'd been warned was a dangerous vehicle and what she describes as a death box. The footage of the ensuing crash is terrifying. Thurman also alleges that Tarantino spat on her face during a scene and strangled her with a chain for another, all for the cinematic effect the director wanted. Great films though, right guys? Guys? Well, I have to say, I have never in a fan of Quentin Tarantino. I did kind of like Reservoir Dogs, but mm. I have always thought that he was way, way less talented than he thought he was, and actually everybody else seemed to think he was. I don't think he treats women particularly well in his films, like you say. I also think that he has... We've had this conversation before about violence and how actually violence doesn't bother me in cinema, but... That's only if the violence is actually real. So if violence is shown, as in someone gets punched in the face and their nose explodes over their face, that doesn't bother me because that's generally what happens when somebody gets punched in the face. Mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino uses that kind of stylized type of violence in which it's not realistic, it's violence portrayed as something that is cool rather than violence that's portrayed as something that is horrible and has long-term side effects. Sort of cartoon violence, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's kind the... of almost A-team, spray the bullets out of the back of the van, leave someone just tied up loosely at the side of the road, violence. And or Tom and Jerry kind of violence as well. Yeah. I can't do it because um, I'm, I'm just too squeamish. I can't do Tarantino films, it's too much for me. 
What I will say about that article, though, in the New York Times is it was, I mean, obviously, it's a great article from the point of view of what she said. But actually, it was impenetrably written. It was dense as fuck. it also contained a lot of unnecessary information, such as what she was wearing, how she was looking. The fact she was eating raw cucumber, which I thought was odd, because I well, don't her know child, who a cucumber. Her child was eating raw cucumber, but granted the point about cooking cucumbers. Yeah, it in itself was quite a sexist article, even though it was dealing with sexism. I'd also like to give, at this point, a dishonorary mention to another top draw shit biscuit, Vincent Chirincioni. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but, you know, fuck him. The Hollywood manager, renowned for helping to advance the careers of minority women, Halle Berry's probably the best known out of the women he represents, has been accused of sexual harassment by nine women of colour. He is denying the allegations. It's been a while since we had an opportunity to laugh at Jacob Rees-Mogg, so it's a delight to find him back in the news this week, being a dick. A member of the so-called swivel-eyed loon contingent of the Tory party, or prominent Brexiteer, if you prefer. Nope. No, I don't. Prefer. That's how the BBC described him. Instantly, I thought that was maybe he's a prominent something. But Brexiteer is not going to be my go-to. Brexiteer. Uh, anyway, he got his knickers in a twist this week after it emerged Treasury number crunchers had failed to find a scenario in which exiting the European Union was financially beneficial to the UK. No, you shut up. <laughs> so uh, obviously, Rhys Mogg reckoned there was no other possible explanation for the offending figures other than that they've been deliberately fiddled by Treasury officials. According to JRM, it was politically advantageous for those mandarins on the Whitehall gravy train to do so. It's almost like no one's ever explained to him how government or indeed the civil service works. Does the government work? I, I've got serious doubts. It is, yeah, it's hard to tell at the moment, isn't mm. it? Moggy's also adamant that there'll be no staying in a customs union with the EU, something which Number 10 has just backed up, despite seemingly keeping options open at the end of last week. Teabag has now ruled out any customs union after Brexit, which bodes very badly for the already under threat Good Friday Agreement and hopes for a frictionless Irish border. It's also left Amber Rudd with egg on her face after she told Andrew Marr just yesterday, which is Sunday, because we record on a Monday, that May was still open to some sort of customs union with the EU and also that the Conservative Party is more united than critics think. (laughs) But to be honest, there's so much egg on so many faces, it looks like Parliament is one big scramble. Speaking of which, (laughs) over in America, the nation settled down to its annual State of the Union address, the first of Trump's reign. Independent fact-checking website PolitiFact crashed, one congresswoman played Candy Crush throughout, and the president made some claims about the most watch and bestest ever, which I can save you the effort of Googling is categorically not true. Thanks, mate. So pretty much like everybody knew it would be. But oh hey, what's that on the horizon? Another shitstorm in the form of the Nunes memo. So I'm going to try and explain this in as quick and efficient way as possible, which is hard. If you want proper in-depth analysis, seek out a reputable news source. I'd suggest Mother Jones or the Washington Post. If you want to hear Paul Ryan being called a cunt, come on in. I am in. (laughs) So, the memo was written by aides to Republican Devin Nunes, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, big fan of Trump, and one of his transition team. It concerns a wiretap on Carter Page, who was an advisor to the Trump campaign. Briefly. Although... As they're currently giving out long service medals to anyone who makes it past lunch, that's maybe not as relevant or irrelevant as it seems. Longer or shorter than Scaramucci? Longer than Scaramucci, yeah. The documents allege that the FBI omitted key information when it applied to the court for the wiretap. 
That being that some of the legwork had been done by Christopher Steele, a British intelligence expert you might remember from the Golden Showers dossier. And Steele... <laughs> Just makes me think of a very damp, smelly dossier. Quite. And Steele had been hired by a research firm which had itself been hired by the Democrats, which, let's face it, isn't a good look. But it's not exactly a smoking gun. Essentially, what this is, is what the old chief worries about when his young maverick cop wants to throw the rule book away. If you don't do it right, the bad guy might just get away with it. Mm -hmm. Trump, of course, is jubilant, claiming he's been vindicated, which he hasn't. Even many Republicans concede that. Concern is, he'll use this as an excuse to sack Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and even Robert Mueller, who is leading the FBI investigation into possible collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia during the election, which the Democrats are claiming would lead to a constitutional crisis. Watch this space. Gee, I think I need to lie down. Mm. But instead, I'm going to go to Scotland, <laughs> where a survey into the effects of period poverty has shown that nearly one in five women have had to go without sanitary products because they couldn't afford them. Loo roll, socks held in place with sellotape, newspaper and rags are just some of the substitutes used by women having to choose between food and tampons. Scotland is actually leading the way when it comes to tackling period poverty, with a number of individual businesses providing free products. First Minister Nicola Sturgeon pledging free sanitary products in schools, colleges and universities from the autumn, and a pilot scheme in Aberdeen where women on low incomes will have access to free sani kit for six months. We can all do something about this. If your budget stretches to it, chuck an extra pack of sanitary towels or tampons in your shopping basket and then in a food bank, and follow at Bloody Good Period for more ways to help. That is really shocking, isn't it? It really is. One in five. Bloody hell. The week's best, you couldn't make it up, came from South Africa, where sentient alt-right bot Katie Hopkins found herself face down on a pavement after taking ketamine. Possibly because it can be used to treat her epilepsy. Possibly not. She just wanted to know what it felt like to be a cucumber. Who knows? (laughs) Or frankly cares. (laughs) Everyone was just enjoying the many ironies of a woman who asked her followers to tweet pictures of Johnny Foreigner using the NHS before she flew abroad to make a documentary about nasty black people being given free healthcare by paramedics of colour. And this is the woman who thinks Brexit is going to go okay, is all I'm saying. Hey, if Katie Hopkins says it's going to be okay, we're we're all all right. We're all safe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. I want to make a shed load of cash without actually having to do the thing that I was originally famous for and not that good at. That's right. It was announced this week that the Spice Girls are back. Hooray! Yeah. With Fab Five, we taught an entire generation of teenagers about the different types of women you could be. Classy, bolshy, bulimic, sexy and childlike are apparently ta- are apparently talking about opportunities and ideas, though there is reportedly one fairly significant caveat and that Victoria Beckham doesn't want to do it if she has to sing. So it must have been a pretty big tax bill for VB. What's she going to do if she doesn't sing? I have no idea. I honestly don't know. What I have no idea. It's not like they play instruments. <laughs> No, they don't. I've yeah, been a little bit. Really, did it? No, they, <laughs> but they I mean... did get busted, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. Didn't they the music them. go off and they were and they were still like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I think the Spice Girls thing, though. I feel like I've been a bit mean about them. Like, fair play to them if they want to make loads of money for not doing very much. Why not? Fair enough. But Jermaine Grit, like, fucking loves the Spice Girls, and I just wondered what you two 
if you had any feelings about them? Well, I'm a bit old to to ever have been genuinely into the Spice Girls. I mean, I do like a bit of kitsch, but unfortunately they are not kitsch enough for me to like a bit of kitsch with them. I say a bit too old. I'm always completely interested by the fact that I have, for most of my life, been either younger or older than Cherry Halliwell, (laughs) which is a bit baffling. She's like the Schrodinger's cat of celebrity aging. She is. I don't know. Part of me has a kind of, I suppose, respect for the fact that they've got a lot of money out of not a huge amount of talent, which is moderately impressive. I mean, I suppose if people want to pay to watch them lip sync to their songs, is that what's going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. I suppose more for them. I think they're going to do like promotional stuff. I don't think they're actually going to do like singing. But big question, is there going to be another movie? Fingers crossed for Spice World the movie too. Spice Globe, Spice Universe, Spice Rock. Spice (laughs) Rock. Yeah, one for Jerry. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Here's a good bit of good news. Want to get a bit of good news? Well, news that is good, but would actually be better if it didn't actually have to exist. Ireland moves the closest yet to letting women decide what to do with their own bodies with the announcement that the referendum on the Eighth Amendment will happen by the end of May. There doesn't appear to be a specific date yet, but before the end of May. As ever, if anyone campaigning to legalise abortion in Ireland has an idea of what we can do to help, tweet us at Standard Issue UK or me at, at that Levy. Or me at Mixed Noonan. Go on then, or me at Inspire Jen. And good luck to you. Absolutely. More news next week. Well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. It's that time of the week where we shake a tasty morsel out of the big bag of sexism and chow down. Very, 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 very quietly indeed, of course, because nobody wants to hear a lady crunching in public. Am I right? Well, Dorito certainly thinks so, as the triangular snapmakers launch what all women with any sense of decency have been waiting for. A crisp with less crunch, so we don't draw attention to the fact we actually dare to consume food. Oh, and the packet is handily handbag-sized too. They've thought of everything! Apart from whether this idea is patronising as fuck and should go sit in a bin. Presumably the packet will be pink, the crisp will smell like roses, taste like the pay gap, and be called something suitably cutesy like, Women, stop making noises! If you want me, I'll be in the corner, silently laughing at lettuce like a lady bloody well should. Well, I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. Am I allowed to say this? Are you going to say about the lady complaining about your chomping? Yeah. And we did actually get a message saying we recorded a sponsorship advert for Pop Chips, and I thought it would be funny to, like, eat loads of them while I was recording it because you know why not it was Jen and also multitasking yeah yeah uh, saving time and they were delicious by the way uh, hang on and... one sec I've just got to take a <laughs> <laughs> sorry carry on Jen yeah uh, no she didn't like it she she said you need to stop munching those crisps and she said it's not just her a lot of people feel similarly. I do think that sitting hungover on a train, just listening to the sound of someone gently masticating, is going to be when I have my Michael Douglas in falling down moment. Just like go absolutely. Oh, I have to say, I, I can fixate on certain things about people, and they, I can go off people very quickly. And one of the things can be 
the sound of the mating. I mean, one of the things could be the sound of the breathing, quite frankly, but the sound of the mating. But that is uh, that is a gender-neutral kind of hatred yeah. I have for it. I can remember a friend of mine being told off by a nan because somebody had seen her eating a packet of crisps in the street. <laughs> she thought it was common. <laughs> my mate thinks... My, my mate Catherine thinks it is not very... Uh, it's not the done thing to eat, like, you know... She once she once sent me a message saying like I'm so hungry I just had to like eat a sandwich on the tube or something and she was like horrified with herself. But it is it is largely bullshit. I mean we've got some people coming in in a couple of weeks to talk to us about eating disorders. To be honest, especially young girls face enough weird shit ideas about yeah. what they should and shouldn't be eating. The the idea that eating in public is not a good thing to do is. Bullshit. I mean that Come on, fucks go. over restaurants, doesn't it? Like that's no, you, you can eat in public. Just be really quiet about it if you are a woman. Yeah, men and, like knock yourself out with then your you chomping. Then you just tear the lobster apart <laughs> and just wave it around, that... shouting, "Woo, lobster!" How do you reckon that donut I ate <laughs> earlier? Lobster, I've never had lobster, no, I don't like seafood. How do you reckon the donut I ate earlier would have gone down? Right, <laughs> some areas of the internet, possibly really popular. <laughs> I don't know, but you ate it quite quietly. Okay, that's good. No, it doesn't matter. That's the point, Jen. All oh, right, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the studio with comedian Angela Barnes. Hello. Hi. Hi. And that's Jen. Hi. Jen and I are in the studio with comedian Angela Barnes. She's here to talk to us about the new series of News Jack, which starts... This week. It starts on Thursday. Okay, so that is tomorrow, if you are listening to this. Right, okay, yes, I've got very good... No, it is. Oh, yes, okay, the glory of recording things, yeah. So tell us about News Jack. So News Jack is on Radio 4 Extra. And it's an open submission show, the only one uh, in radio comedy where anybody can write for Newsjack. So it's sketches and one-liners is the format based on the week's news. And all you have to do is submit your ideas for sketches by midday on the Monday. So you've missed the deadline for this week. And one-liners by midday on the Tuesday. And then we record on the Wednesday and it's broadcast on the Thursday. And that's happening for the next six weeks. And you do get paid, don't you? You do. If you have stuff that's used, you get paid. I think it's now, I'll try and get this right. I think it's something like £21 per one-liner or per uh, recorded minute. So depending on the length of your sketch. That doesn't mean don't write half-hour-long sketches because they definitely won't go in. (laughs) Shorter than sweet is what we want. But yeah, absolutely. If it gets used, you get paid. Excellent. And yeah. I, now, if you, people are sitting at home and they think, I'd quite like to do that, but I've got no experience of comedy, that doesn't actually matter. Doesn't does matter it? at all. And actually, it's a really good way to get the experience because even if you, like, writing comedy is like a muscle, you know, so if you set yourself that deadline to do it every week, you'll get better as the series goes on. And even if your stuff doesn't get used, it's good practice. I mean, I write a lot for, you know, I do a lot of topical comedy and I say half of, half of what I write is for the bin. You know, that's just what writing topical comedy is. So yeah. don't get disheartened if your stuff doesn't get used. You're writing it. That's the important thing. And if it does get used, or if you're consistently submitting good stuff that almost makes the cut but doesn't, there's lots of reasons why things don't make the edit, you know, just time or you've already got six sketches on that theme or whatever, you will get noticed if you're constantly submitting good things. And the producers at the BBC, they really want to find new writers, new voices. And there are there are a number of writers that have pretty much started their career at Newsjack. Loads, loads of them. The, the writers that write things like the News Quiz and on the Now Show and have their own series on Radio 4, all the writers for Dead Ringers, things like that, have all come up through Newsjack. And I, I started off submitting stuff to Newsjack back in the day. 
So where can people get, get in touch? So if you go to the Radio 4 Extra website and if you find the Newsjack link on there, so I think it's bbc.co.uk slash Radio 4 Extra slash Newsjack and that will give you all the details of how to submit. So it's quite simple. You just, um, there's a button to press to submit your sketches. There's a format it asks you to use. And if you just use that, and uh, yeah, and everything gets read, every single submission. Bob's your uncle. Not by me, thank goodness, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's you're asking people to do something that's actually quite hard, and I say that because mm. we write jokes about the news every week, and we are in an extraordinary circumstance mm. at the moment, whereby the news, just the news in itself, is quite mm. often funny. Yeah. Or so depressing that you can't yeah. possibly seek out the funny angle and also the same news stories are the same cycles going round you know, I started doing Newsjack a year ago when Trump was just inaugurated and you know I'm bored of writing jokes about Donald Trump and Brexit but those stories aren't going anywhere no so you know you just have to find new angles to look at I mean Donald Trump I always say you know, people, oh he's a gift to comedians I'm like he's not because he's done all the jokes himself there's nothing left yeah you know, he's a gift to comedians. He's given us a box of chocolates and he's eaten them all. That's yeah. Well, well quite, yeah. quite often. I mean, we just I like I literally the my only joke at the end is just to go prick. Yeah. There's, just, <laughs> there's, there's nothing else left to say. I was quite lucky. At the end of last year, I found myself in a room with Armando Iannucci, ah. and I managed to segue into a conversation about the death of satire. Right. I just kind of walked up and went, "Hi, I'm Hannah." And um, he was very nice. Um, and he was later asked the same question on stage. <laughs> he had hope. I mean, he did yeah. say there was a couple of things that he felt if it had been presented to him as satire, he would have said, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. He, he mentioned the Theresa May coughing while the letters fell down. Oh, my goodness. And how I... there was no way he would, he, would have, he would have said to people that would never happen. It's too much. Well, I remember watching that because that happened, that speech was on a Wednesday, which is the day we record Newsjack, and it was during a new, the, the last series. And um, so I, I said, because I, I have my monologue at the beginning of the show that I write, and uh, I'd already written most of it, and I said, I better watch the speech just in case she mm. says anything we can use, you know. Yeah. And it was just, I, I had to just call the others in. I was like, you've got to come and watch this. You won't believe what's yeah. happening. And it was exactly that. If that had been in an episode of The Thick of It, you'd go, oh, don't, come on now. Yeah. That's that sharp. <laughs> I mean, we were talking earlier about Brexit in that mm. I sometimes, I, I literally dread, we generally write our jokes on a Sunday night. Mm. And I sit down and I open my computer and I literally dread doing it. And this, I am someone who wanted to write jokes about the news for yeah. basically my entire life. And now I'm like, well, what are you wish for? Because now, I mean, I, I love my job, but sometimes I'm like, I do not want to know what Jacob Rees-Mogg has said now. I don't want to know it because no. it makes me... It's depressing. It, it, it actually quite, causes anxiety. Yeah, I was going to say, it causes quite a lot of anxiety, doesn't yeah. it? I would happily, I mean, this is my job, you know, I've got to spend the next six weeks looking at the news. And I do have to confess that as soon as a, a series of news jacks over... I don't read a paper for two weeks. I don't look at. I just mm. want to live in blissful ignorance for a couple of weeks. But you know what happens? <laughs> you know what happens with that? Because I used to write a, a weekly. I mean, I've done a weekly news column for mm. years and years. I used to write one for a paper I worked on. I had two weeks off work, and at that point, I had my chimney swept. Not a euphemism. <laughs> and I deliberately stepped away from the news yeah. for a fortnight. And Guy, the chimney sweep, who really sadly didn't have one of those hats. <laughs> Did he sing any songs? No. Oh. That was really disappointing. He said to me. What about that thing in Japan? And I was like, what? He was like, that thing in Japan? I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he was like, well, Japan's like basically been washed away. Yeah. And like, there's a nuclear reactor on. And I was like, 
what? <laughs> I literally turned the news on. He was like, I can't believe this. You told me you were a journalist. And yeah. I was like, I, I step away from the news for five minutes and Japan nearly gets, that was the tsunami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like wiped off the face of the earth. So I'm torn between wanting to know what's going on and, and not wanting want to, to know miss the big on. stories. Is yeah. that why it works? Is that why, because, you know, obviously there's a fair few things like this that exists is that why it works because the news is so depressing that you just have to laugh about it basically i think the news has always been like it's always been depressing news and i think the the problem it's much easier to make satire out of something that's depressing to try and make it you know look at it from another angle and that i think the problem we have at the moment is just the sheer ridiculousness of what's happening and the the polarity of it the the extremism that you know the that is happening at the moment which certainly in my lifetime you know i i've not experienced it's you sort of felt growing up uh in the like 80s 90s as i did that things are progressive and they're going towards a progressive thing you know and, and it never occurred to me that things could go so far backwards yeah so quickly and that and I, I think social media has a lot to do with it that you we were all in blissful ignorance about what other people's opinions are that weren't our friends and family you know or the people on tv and and now because of twitter or whatever just i feel that it it's frightening when you realize how many extremists there are of both sides yeah. you know extreme left extreme right views that are willing to um put such vitriol out there into the world and you go oh god I, I just want everyone to just get on and be nice yeah. and I know that that's not a thing that ha- but I hadn't realised the scale of extremism in- I think I think as well you do get a thing about people telling you what you can and can't write jokes about yeah I'm of the opinion you can write a joke about something that's a choice on a person's part you can't write a joke about something that they have no choice in. Yeah. so that's like race disability like that's all off the table you yeah know? but that said, I have been told off before for people who've told me off for making jokes about the fact that I'm hard of hearing because that's something that shouldn't be joked about. And I'm like, that's fucking me. It's my thing. <laughs> I'm allowed. You yeah. Have, you've actually got... I have. I'm I, I'm hard of hearing my right ear. Yeah. I've got and not you're not affected by jokes about hard... No. Not at all. No. And if, especially not if I make them. But this isn't know, people... This isn't people who are themselves hard of hearing. No. Like, it's people who are being offended on behalf of other people who are hard that of hearing. Is, that is what's making things very difficult at the moment to be a satirist. Yeah is the the sense that people are looking to be offended. There's no doubt there are people out there looking to, for things to be offended about. And you just have to go, I I want to be able to stand by everything I say on a radio show or TV show or whatever. And so I do think very carefully about what I write. And so I just don't engage with those people who are clearly just, you know, you've had a bad day at work and you want to whinge at someone yeah. and you've picked up on something I've said, taken it completely out of context. Yeah. You know you have. I'm well, not that engaging is, that with that. The danger with social media is that you can't read sarcasm. Yeah, and I, I mm. find that quite dangerous as a sarcastic person. When I go, "Oh, brilliant!" Yeah, and they, they think I'm saying, "Oh, brilliant!" And you're like, "Yeah, I, there's no way I agree with what." Yeah, Farage just said clearly. You must know me well enough already to see that that is it's, a joke. Yeah, but, but that's the problem: is things get misinterpreted, and then you know, I've heard a story of a I won't say who it is because it's not my story, but of a stand-up comedian who. Um, uh, did a set in a university and during like a bit of improv bit of uh banter with the audience um he made a joke about he was joking about i think it was guinea pigs or some sort of little furry animal 
And somewhere in it, the word rape was used. Right Now, it wasn't a rape joke. It wasn't a... It was something to do with these guinea pigs. I can't remember what it was. And this got... Somebody tweeted the joke or whatever. And the student newspaper published an article sort of outing this comedian as a... Uh, you know, anti as a misogynist mm. talking about rape. Well, they hadn't been at the gig. Yeah, they hadn't witnessed what had happened. They didn't know the facts of. You know, you're just like, oh my god! I and now he's banned from that university. Yeah, and and it just seems there's this real sort of um, desire to just very quickly shut down anything that could be offensive yeah. without actually thinking about what it is or yeah. why it's offensive yeah. or or you know getting any sense of context. Yeah, that's a bit like. I used to find it really frustrating sometimes when I'd write stuff for Standard Issue people would start retweeting something about a headline or whatever and it's like and getting upset about it and you're just like have you have you read it? Mm. And they'd like nine times out of ten say no. <laughs> well really often like, often what, articles that what? get shared people yeah. get offense, offended yeah. at the Just the headline. concept. Yeah. I mean there was the like, whole thing about um, uh, there was the thing with Daniel Kitson earlier or last year it's very difficult to talk about because there's a word I obviously don't want to use, but yeah. there was an article in The Guardian, I think it was, uh, about the show, and it was a particular routine that he did about reclaiming a certain... Not reclaiming a racist word, it's not his to reclaim, but it was about how that word was used and is now, and it was very yeah. much, you know, he clearly in context wasn't being racist. And the writer of the article, however, had a very visceral reaction to that word because they... Were, had been victimised yeah. using that word. And that, I think, is totally valid. That person, ha- you can't take that away from somebody. Yeah. They felt that way, that reaction. But the headline was so deliberately provocative. And so, and it was Daniel Kitson called me a, this word, which is not what happened. Yeah, He did jokes about it and this person had a reaction to it. Mm. And it, the the actual article itself was very reasonably argued. And you could say, yes, you're, of course you're, you can be offended by that or you have a visceral reaction to that word because of your lived experience but it the heading of the article made it so it just took the context away from any of the discussion and that's where it's da- you know it's just really yeah, dangerous people just not actually that's clickbait for you isn't it it's really? clickbait and it's just knee-jerk reaction yeah. to things you know so we're probably putting people off yeah <laughs> but you'll be uh, fine jokes, but you will be fine um have you got like maybe uh, what would you say your top tip for being seen is okay top tips are one keep it brief like the the sketches we get submitted we we only have so much time it's a 28 minute program and we want to get as much into it as possible so make sure it's brief and that you end on a joke sketches are notoriously hard to finish so end on a punchline don't be tempted to then carry on make sure it's on that week's news it's a topical show so um you know you might have a brilliant sketch but if it hasn't got anything to do with the week's news then it's not going in so make sure you sort of look at the papers there are always two men and two women in the cast so utilize the cast that you've got you know it's it's amazing the amount of you get Oh, two people having a conversation in an office and it's always two men yeah you're like there's there's two women here as well use us mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and we can be protagonists as well yeah um and also the series is six weeks and we the first couple of weeks we get really high number of submissions that always goes down so if you submit towards the end of the week uh, end of the series rather you'll be more likely to get stuff in and finally uh, the main main big stories of the week tend to be covered 
either by me in the monologue or we'll get a lot of sketches on that. So yeah. dig deep into the papers. Go to the business sections. Go to the sports section. We get very few um, submissions on like tech stories or sports stories. And so we're always looking for stuff on the on the stories that aren't the big news so dig deep brilliant what else are you up to Angela that people might want to know about I'm going on a little tour are you I am yeah so that starts well my first show is at the Leicester Comedy Festival on the 22nd of Feb and then I start my tour properly on the 1st of March going all over the place so you can see the dates are on my website which is angelabarnescomedy.co.uk and that goes on till about June and then I'll be up at the fringe again. Excellent. So it's yeah, so this tour is last year's show, Fortitude. So all about being in my forties and nuclear bunkers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm obsessed with them. So yeah, they're in there as well. We'll have you back in to talk about that at Great. some point, I think. Oh, here's a fun fact for you. Apparently oh, yeah. today the Berlin Wall has been down for as long as, as long as it was up. Yeah, yeah. It came down on my birthday, you know, the Berlin Wall. My thirteenth birthday. Really? 9th of November nineteen eighty nine. You know what? We're gonna we're going to end on a fact rather than a joke. Because I like <laughs> Thanks ever so much for coming in, Angela. Thanks for having me. It's been lovely. Hi, Standard Issue. Thanks for having me. My name is Nadine McVeigh, and I'm going to speak with you about some of my experiences living with MS. And just a preemptive apology in case my lovely cat has a few things to say. Yeah, this is for everyone, even cats, so on we go. Act one. I can't tell. I'm in the bath and I can't tell if the water is too hot or too cold. There's something off. Yeah, there's something off. I can't tell. Lapping against my skin is something. Something watery. Is this even what water feels like? If it is, I can retrain my brain, I say. Associate this sensation with the feeling of wateriness, of wetness. This potential hook feels hopeful at least. I grapple with it for a few moments in my mind before seeing it slip through my hands. You're misremembering, McBee, goes my inner voice. A spot of transactional analysis taught me to endeavour to speak to myself adult to adult. And this sounds like an adult voice. Authoritative, but kind. I'm going to listen. This is what water feels like. This is wetness. Don't fool yourself that it feels different to how watery wetness felt before, or may have felt before. You just um, can't tell if it's hot water or cold water. It's lukewarm. Yes, it's lukewarm. Lukewarm has always felt strange. Aye, get some heat in that bath. Restored balance is at sight, even if I have to fool myself for a bit. Then I remember it's late and my legs are spiky with stubble. This stuff has got microbeads in it. I huff with inward criticism. I use the soap instead. Act two. Whoa, that was a big one. I even did a yell there. The cat springing from the foot of the bed. My body has just jerked about 20 degrees from the pelvis with a violence that took my breath away. It's 4am and I've taken my meds, a combination of antidepressants, antihistamines and beta blockers that I've taken for years, hours ago. I've got my ice pack under my legs and a cooling towel around my neck and it drapes down my back. A thin strip of man-made cloth that you dip in cold water. This is marketed to gym goers and women ploughing through menopausal night sweats. This cooling towel has been a revelation to me. It's like when you meet an awesome person. 
Though there's part of you that feels it'd be great if you'd met them sooner and had loads of awesome times, you know that you're lucky to be spending time with them now. So just be grateful. Yeah, I like my cooling towel that much. But tonight, my makeshift defences are no match for them. Prickling, hot, the desert scorpions feed on the subcutaneous skin of a woman from a cold country where sunlight inspires gleeful, defiant men to wander topless. My hand hovers over the damp skin on the small of my back and attempt to soothe myself. The heat from my body radiates. They should harness this, I say out loud to the night. Like all those other times, I, I force a daft voice. Hook me up to the national grid. Get me a rebate on the lecky. It's 4am and I must leave in four hours for work. There's nothing for it now but the cold shower. Exhausted, I feel it. It's cold, all right. Act three. I look at a face. It's a really lovely face. Kind, thoughtful and always up for mischief. I'm very fond of this face, of the person it belongs to. But is it different today? It's always different, granted. But is it substantively different? I blink. No, I'm seeing it differently. The edges are fuzzier. It's only when I make an effort to sharpen focus that I see that freckle. A stab of anxiety in the guts. Will there come a time I cannot see that freckle? That face? Hey, let's stick a tune on. Have you heard the new Django Django album? Some cracking stuff on there. Let's get it on. Act 4. But this was meant to be Blue Monday. There were campaigns and stuff to turn it from blue to bra by doing someone a good turn. I was speaking to the sad person. Maybe it just looks like I'm concentrating really hard. So hard that lots of water has leaked from my face. Did people see me? Did they see me and think, geez, that looks a shame, but I don't know what to do. Just like I thought a couple of weeks ago when it was me seeing the distressed guy in Starbucks. The truth is, instead of shame, instead of anxiety, I didn't feel anything. I neither wanted to make a scene or have some kind soul try to console me. I didn't want this to be happening either. But it was, and it had been for three hours now. I accepted it all, like the relaxation CD says to. Just keep carrying on, keep reading, I tell myself. My research paper's wet with mascara tears. Another salty cascade dribbles down my cheeks. It's not the MS. It's not the MS. It's because you're tired. It's because you've had flu. It's because you lost your job. It's because you're worried about all that work that you missed. It's because you're worried about money. It's because of that breakup. It's because you're a freelancer. It's because of me too. It's because of precarious work. It's because of all those times you've been made redundant. There are always reasons, but hey, McBay, it's not the MS, okay? Don't think that. Again, the voice is authoritative and kind, but this adult also totally sucks at timing. This is now a snafu of inexplicable crying and a proper diner to boot. The night's a goner. I pull my hood from my face and get the bus home. The anti-act. There were other things in my typical week. The joy of friends, fun with the cat, reading the news, being proud of doing that work. An excellent run of three episodes of Better Call Saul. But yes, a week only really marked by its normalcy. 
I'm 39, an age when my parents somehow manage to feed, clothe and give their children the occasional holiday. I'm 39 and some days it takes me all my effort to put a wash on, keep on top of the emails and have a shower. I'm 39 and feel in some ways like a stunted adolescent. I'm 39 and I have always managed. I'm 39 and I haven't been well since I was 19. I'm 39 and worry whether I'll be able to say that to 49 or 59. I'm 39 and have been worried about writing this piece, of saying this piece, a piece unlike the hundreds I've written predominantly as a music and culture journalist. It's a field I've worked in some capacity in since I was a teenager, from eager newbie, happy enough to write about a great band for a record and a gig ticket, to someone who made most of their living for many years as a staff writer, reporter, commissioning editor, and that sadly endangered breed, the sub-editor. I've been regarded as totally having my shit together, at least in terms of working, running a home and paying the bills. My journalistic instincts told me to strictly engage with the facts here, to tell you how around 2.3 million people worldwide live with a disease causing degeneration of nerve cells in the brain and spinal cord, a disease with symptoms including cognitive impairment, memory loss, speech problems, extreme fatigue and chronic pain syndromes, how damage to parts of the central nervous system responsible for controlling and generating emotion can cause severe mood changes, how 15% of deaths in those with MS are caused by their own hand, how the treatment and care for those with MS and similarly presenting conditions such as fibromyalgia, ME, chronic fatigue syndrome, lupus, hypermobility are feminist issues. These affect twice as many females as males and these tired women are part of the millions missing throughout the world. Victims of a culture that sees women's experiences as lacking credibility in general and a medical system based on and largely informed by those without an internal reproductive system. About how bogglingly MS wasn't a condition recognised by conventional Western medicine until the 1980s. About how there's a varying prevalence of MS around the UK, with estimates putting the number of people with MS in England at around 164 per 100,000. In Wales, it's around 138. In Northern Ireland, it's around 175. And in Scotland, it's a UK high of 209 per 100,000. I could have told you how some doughty souls in Dundee, the place where I grew up, and the sunniest city in Scotland, set up the first MS centre in the UK in the early 1980s. Or maybe I could have spoken about the things that I do, such as going to the MS centre in Glasgow, where I live, for oxygen therapy to manage my condition when finances allow, of how my health improves through that therapy and also through massage, herbal medicine and acupuncture, and of how lucky I am to have an attentive, respected neurologist at the City Southern General Hospital, of how lucky I am to be able to still cope, still do some work, still be able to see my friends now and again. I know I'm very lucky. Of my personal experience of how, after being termed as having ME for many years, through lumbar punctures, tests and juddering MRI scans, lesions on the brain were discovered as being 
responsible for a bout of paralysis on the left-hand side of my body that I'd suffered uh, a couple of years ago. And it's a side where I can still experience numbness, tingling and weakness. I could have gone into how years of shame and secrecy stopped me from telling people, even my family, that I was unwell. How I have and guilt and do feel guilt and self-loathing even for mentioning the condition to others. Isn't there lots of suffering in the world? Is mine special? No. Or maybe I could have written a polemic on how I have been so effectively brainwashed by Tory propaganda and a culture of cruelty towards the poor and the weak that I'm too scared to approach the DWP for support with my precarious income. How I'm too proud. How it would likely be futile to talk to the DWP anyway. How that very government department has taken £6 million every year from MS sufferers due to assessments for the new personal independence payment. It does not properly take into account the reality of people living with this condition and other conditions like it. So that reality, or at the very least my reality, is what I've tried to convey here. And though these are both highly intimate things, I believe there's a difference between confession and sharing. Despite some of my feelings of guilt, this isn't intended as a confession. I don't want redemption. I don't need it. I know that illness is a fact of life and it's as absurd to feel shame over it as to gloat over it. What comforts me when I'm distressed or in pain is that there are others who've felt these experiences too and are maybe feeling it now. They'll wake up again tomorrow and again they'll try their best, wherever they are in their condition and managing it. Somehow, knowing that, there is strength and solidarity there. Hello, we are joined in the studio by Miss L. Ooh, a pseudonym. Hello. Hi. And you're going to talk to us about casting calls and acting and all sorts of other stuff. Yes, I am. Your Twitter handle is at ProResting. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about how it started and what you do on there? I started after doing a kids show in Edinburgh in 2011, which was horrible. And it was... On the train home, I started writing about how, like, just the experience of it all and what a miserable time I'd had in the kind of the run-up to it and just what a joke it was that this was my job. Why why was it so miserable? No one came. We were in a venue, like, a million miles away. Oh, Edinburgh. Ah, standard Edinburgh. Joy of Edinburgh. (laughs) We didn't have any press or, like, even any posters for, like, the first week, so no one knew it was going on. It was a rubbish show. (laughs) It was sort of summed up by the fact that during one show, like a kid turned to her, her mum and went, Mummy, when's the play going to start? Mm-hmm. And we'd been going for about 20 minutes at that oh. point. And Children are <laughs> such harsh critics. Yeah, they're horrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I started writing, and, and then I sort of thought, like, if I'm feeling like this, and just that horrible feeling of coming back and then just sat at home, and it's like a Tuesday afternoon, and you're in your pajamas, and you're like, I don't know what. I'm doing for a living. It just sounds very much like my Tuesday afternoons, I've got to be honest with you. <laughs> to be fair, nothing's really changed. <laughs> in the sounds sun. like my whole 20. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, nothing's really changed. <laughs> and so I started just blogging, really, and sort of tweeting about going to auditions and 
trying to get work as an actor who wasn't known or famous or I just kind of wanted to get behind the type of actors that you see interviewed in Sunday supplements that was always like my thing because that really annoyed me so I was like that's not what an actor's life is it's not sitting in the reception of you know the Savoy sipping on cocktails talking about meeting Steven Spielberg in the morning and then mm-hmm. whoever in the afternoon and I was like I want I want actors to know it's not just them having a really rough time so I started blogging about it and it just picked up quite a lot of traction quite quickly of other actors going oh my god it's not just me I'm not the only one banging my head against the wall well, I guess it's quite a lonely profession that's the thing and it's that the problem at, at that point that was when we were like 2011 social media was sort of starting to ramp up a bit more and everyone's putting their best version out there, as we know. That's the problem often with social media. So everyone's going, got an audition this morning and then doing voiceover this afternoon and then going to a networking party in the evening. You're like, I'm not doing any of this. I've done some laundry. Yeah. It's like, I've taken in a parcel for next door. That's <laughs> all I ever do. Because I'm the only one who's in every day. <laughs> so I got really lovely feedback. And then... The casting call stuff came in as just as an extension, really, because I was reading horrible casting calls out to my husband and he was like, stop reading them to me. Tweet about these because they're ridiculous and people won't believe. Because what you found was it's absolutely straight down the line equal when it comes to casting Uh, calls and men and women are treated exactly the same. Yeah. Can I just clarify for anyone who might not know listening, yeah. a casting call is... So it's essentially what you might see if you were going to apply for a job. So it's a breakdown of a character or a production. And so it describes what they're looking for, for an actor to put themselves forward. And by they, it is coming from... Depending on the, where you are on the spectrum of professionalism. So if you're really lucky, it's a casting director... Yeah. If you're really unlucky, it's someone who's got an iPhone and has decided that they want to make a film in their spare room <laughs> this Sunday with their mate. <laughs> so it could be it could be a director, it could be a writer, it could be a casting director, it could be yeah, someone's mate. They've just gone, can you write this? What kind of examples can you share with us <laughs> about that? <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the first one I ever posted actually was for this is how it all sort of kicked off was some they wanted an alien to burst out of Scarlett Johansson. And that's kind of we've all we've all wanted that. You know, I mean we've all like looked for that. And that's kind of how it all kicked off. And then there's things, you know, like must be willing to have a condom filled with condensed milk thrown at her face. Oh, and then sure, sort of why so, not? I mean, because obviously like that's a fine thing to be all right with and you sit at home going, Am I okay with that? Yeah, sure. I mean um, I'm gonna have to practice some more, but yeah. I think <laughs> A lot of these, as well as being very sexist, are Mm -hmm. incredibly ageist. Yes. Yeah, very much so. I mean, in casting terms, middle-aged is like 25 and over. And I've genuinely seen casting calls asking for a middle-aged woman aged between 25 and 32. That smarts a bit. (laughs) 35-year-old. Yeah. I think that technically makes me a pensioner. I was talking, but I was just rendered invisible and (laughs) inaudible by my vast age of 40. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's quite the thing when you're sat at home. Oh, I'm beyond middle-aged already, and yeah. That's weird, though, because when you see, like, teen dramas, it's always women and men in their 20s playing teenagers. Yeah. 
it's very confusing having Dawson. grown up on Dawson's Creek. Yeah, <laughs> like, that was apparently fine, but yeah, no. he was twenty-seven, I think, wasn't he? Yeah, oh, come on, Stockard Channing was thirty-six when she. Yeah, no, she was. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Practically ancient, according yeah. to Kanicki was. Kanicki looked like he was in his fifties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be fair, yeah. he'd had a tough paper. Out, <laughs> he looked like every guy who drinks at the end of the bar and you got back in the Every guy. That insult to my insight, not an insult, an insight to my childhood. <laughs> not an insult. To I think my parents would think it was an insult to my childhood. <laughs> but. Have you seen awful ones by more professional outfits? Difficulty is because the really high-profile ones tend to not be available. Yeah. To see, but I mean, I've seen terrible ones for like you know high-profile adverts or TV programs or films, and particularly programs that because most programs will have a scene set in a, in a lap dancing club or a strip club at some point during the film or the series there will always be a scene set in a strip club for some reason so there's always casting calls going out for women to be lap dancers and pole dancers and what does one of those read like <laughs> just generally just must be happy to be skimpily dressed for most of the day comfortable with lap dancing and then you'll see the you know the male version you know we need patrons for a strip club you'll be fully dressed yeah yeah must be comfortable being around women you know (laughs) clad can can i ask we've established they're sexist we've established they are ageist yeah are they also racist yep Take them all off. Um, yep, they are racist. Um, you see a lot of racial stereotypes yeah, in casting, which is, I mean, you know, if you've watched anything on TV or film, is of no real surprise. I saw one the other day who uh, described an Indian girl as a typical Indian girl um, because she was, uh, she's, oh no, she wasn't a typical Indian girl because she wasn't into curry. It's like. Mm, Okay, sure. Like, also, what did they want the character to do? Just avoid curry. (laughs) I have a mate who is um, he's a guy, but he is of Indian heritage and he's an actor. And I think he pretty much exclusively gets um, parts as either a member of a paedophile ring or Mm -hmm. um, or a terrorist. Basically, that's that's all he gets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my beginning of my career, particularly as an actress of part Middle Eastern descent, I pretty much exclusively went up for wives of terrorists or daughters of terrorists or girlfriends of terrorists or female terrorists. <laughs> I'm <laughs> glad you got a little bit of your own agency there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, I mean, that was rare. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so, I mean, the industry is, is fucked. The last <laughs> six months have taught us that. Yeah. And, you know, and yeah. traditionally we say, you know, the fish rots from their head. Mm-hmm. Is that a traditional thing? That I've never heard that I've never heard that in my life. No, it's never. It makes sense as an expression, but... The fish rots from the head yeah. down. Yeah. Old Mama Dunleavy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll crank out a couple of my granddad's um, best ones later. I'm excited. But you that's not what we're here to talk about. I'm sorry. It, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not. So... If we're going to say that, you know, corruption comes from the top and filters down for the sake of people who don't like my folks. I loved it. I just hadn't heard it before. Um, On the other hand, Mm. the level that we're talking about here is perhaps the level a lot of people enter the industry. So is there the potential for change to work in the other direction, do you think? Can the fish rot from the tail up? No, can the fish unrot from the tail up? Unrot from the tail up. (laughs) 
No, I did not. <laughs> but the original back to yeah. the original question. Yeah. I I would be surprised if that's how it's how it's going to work. I think it's going to have to be rotting, or well, hopefully unrotting from the head down. I still yeah, think I that's going to be hard, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> yeah. But Miss L, yes. <laughs> Obviously, Hollywood has been the centre of this sort of seismic change for women mm-hmm. being able to speak out. Mm. Do you think it's going to filter down? If if it can't filter up, yeah. do you think it's going to filter down? Do you think there's going to be a change in these casting calls? I mean, I really hope so. I think it has to. There's already sort of moves, I think, to try and regulate the industry better in the wake of what's been happening, because there has to be. Everyone's, what sort of changes? I mean, I know that sort of casting sites are becoming better at regulating what's going out there. Equity, the um, actors' union, is becoming a lot stronger in allowing sort of space for actors to speak out if they know of things happening and I think just in general just the awareness of it all just makes people think right this has to change Mm -hmm. and people being brave about speaking out as to what's going on but it can't be reliant on the speaking out bit to change the industry but I think with Hollywood and what's going on there it's going to take forever it's going to take ages to change that's the only issue and that's still going to have down. Jeff with his camera in his back bedroom on a Sunday. I was going to say, you could be anyone, couldn't you? Yeah. Someone's not involved in. It's not. And this is a huge problem with a lot of the, um, like the casting sites. So you get websites that, where you apply for work and find work, much like you would for any job. Yeah. And much of the issue is that as an actor, I have to be almost vetted being able to be on that site. So I have to have either had drama school training or I have to have a certain amount of professional credit. I have to pay to be able to use it. Whereas on the other side, if someone wants to put an advert on there, off you go. Oh, there's no regulation. There's no so regulation. You could be walking like literally into anyone's yep. like bedroom or yep. living room or what, like just some random dude. Pretty much. And the, I'm starting to see on websites a worrying sort of disclaimer along the top because they do have staff to mm. read through what's coming in. And horrific ones do get taken out but i'm starting to see disclaimers going this hasn't been been sort of through our vetting process essentially so you're essentially you. yeah you're applying at your you're own your risk own until we've had time to get to it Jesus, wow. which is alarming <laughs> may i ask about the casting couch have you ever had any of those sort of experiences i've never personally had that experience um i've never <clears throat> whether it's to do sort of with my casting type it's not so it's not a situation I've ever found myself in but I do know you know it, it obviously exists out it there happens, yeah. it happens it's a phrase we've all grown up with and kind yeah. of it's become like it's a bit it's always been a bit of a joke the casting I was going to say it's sort of a problem. comedy phrase isn't yeah. it the other question I wanted to ask you was about the change that is happening on television mm-hmm. and in films of women actually getting decent roles. Yeah. Are you finding that is filtering down the fish? <laughs> the casting fish. The casting fish. fish. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, idea. Idea. That's <laughs> idea. A casting couch in the shape of, of a, a rotting fish. fish. <laughs> that sounds nice. Yeah. <laughs> Just to make the casting experience even nicer than it already is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I like it. I think, again, it's getting there Mm -hmm. slowly. But the problem is, it is still this bottom level 
of castings and work that's available that is still not changing yet hasn't quite reached down there and women are still bodies victims lap dancers yeah have to be okay with nudity and condensed condensed milk milk being thrown at them yeah and not speaking and not speaking yeah no one wants weird birds talking exactly you know we've got nothing interesting to say no absolutely (laughs) stop it (laughs) so it doesn't look like at pro wrestling is going to stop anytime soon unfortunately no (laughs) i did not think when i started you know when i started doing the casting calls like six years ago now i didn't imagine that six years on i'd still be finding ones and i keep thinking this is the one i am never going to see a worse one than this and then literally the next day like nope what's the worst one so far um i would say the one that's really like oh i think is um she must be enough of a visual aesthetic to be believably the prey of a stalker what and that (sighs) oh my god that one like just really chilled me because i mean on so many levels it's not even correct. No. no. Stalkers can become obsessed with anyone. That's it's a power thing. It's not a visual well, thing. No. She had to be pretty enough yeah. that you would for believe you someone, be would, like want someone would want to follow her. Yeah. Like, that might as well say, Christ. I'd like to, uh, you need to look good enough for me to have a wank over. That I'm literally call, is basically, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want to think you're fit enough that I would follow you home. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, when you... What a compliment, pull, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you pull down most casting calls, that's kind of what they become. You play ball like a girl! Go on, do one, kid. Jenny off the blocks. Welcome to Jenny off the blocks, the time of the week where we drop kick the ball over the patriarchy and convert that goddamn try as we talk all things women's sport. So technically, I guess this is actually men's sport, but fuck it, it's significant for birds, so I think we get to talk about it. And it is, of course, the big news this week that Formula One announced its decision to axe grid girls. The scantily clad women knocking around a racetrack slash podium slash the 1970s in the name of... I don't know, actually. Um, I honestly don't know. Like, glamour? Or just because dudes like tits? I, I genuinely don't really know what their job objectives are. Anyway, in a statement, Formula One's Managing Director of Commercial Operations, Sean Bratches, said, We feel this custom does not resonate with our brand values and clearly is at odds with modern-day societal norms. It's a bold admission, but of course it's absolutely bang on the money and we also applaud the Professional Dance Corporation for calling time on the use of walk-on girls after feedback from broadcasters. Obviously some twats, like The Sun and the 15,000 people who signed a petition to reverse the ban, are furious about it all because like what next i mean you won't even like be able to speak to a woman soon will you because like we're just so oversensitive right wanting to be acknowledged as humans with skills and shit seriously fifteen thousand people guys you've heard of the internet right it's kind of like when you see those postcards in phone boxes in central london what are those for in this day and age like the nostalgic wank i don't know anyway i digress The Sun reckons easily outraged feminists, that's a direct quote, used to fight for sexual liberation but now want women to lose their jobs. And that was written by a woman, presumably doing her bit for gender equality by proving women can be arseholes too. 
So you've got F1 and darts, two of the sports I kind of consider like the most grunting, old dude-tastic sports, saying, nah, mate, it's not for us, this is the past. So cycling, football, boxing, some of the biggest growth sports for women in the last few years. What the chuff are you playing at? Podium girls, ring girls, cheerleaders at Crystal Palace. I can't see a place for this in a world where we're trying to encourage women to get into sport. By having these sort of Benny Hill-style relics, you're making a very bold statement that this is not a world you want to welcome women into. Because guess what? It's kind of awkward for us. Like, it'd be kind of awkward for you if you went to the supermarket and some dude waved his todger at you over a loaf of hovis. Like, it's sort of weird, isn't it, when you think about it like that? Moving on. A quick big up to the Red Roses, who got the Six Nations off to a flying start for England, beating Italy by a massive 42-7. Wales pipped Scotland to the post by 18-17, and unfortunately Ireland got a bit of a trouncing by France. There's more matches at the weekend, including Wales v England. So um, that's, a, that's a big one. I think. The Six Nations is actually on real-life telly as well as being streamed online, so you can watch it with your eyes if you want to. Have a look at www.sixnationsrugby.com for more information on that. And quickly, a shout-out for the Women's Sports Trust Beer Game Changer Awards, nominations for which close at midnight tonight if you're listening on Wednesday. Get yourself over to womensportstrust.com to nominate your favourite sporty broads. It's a great opportunity to shine a light on the achievements of women in sport and to make sure we hear more about them. That's all for me this week. You can tweet me if you want to, just, you know, to say hello, because sometimes, you know, I get bored. Um, Or say something about sport. I don't really care. I'm on at InspireGen, and I'll be back next week with more sporty shiz. Welcome to Dunleavy Does Disney. Dunleavy, what Disney did you do this week? This week I watched 2005's Chicken Little. As we discussed last week, this has the lowest rating for any Disney animation studio films on Rotten Tomatoes, 36%. That's pretty low, isn't it? Yep, just to be clear, if people maybe don't know what Rotten Tomatoes is, it's an aggregation of scores given by critics. And I'm going to take that with a pinch of salt because... I don't always agree with critics. You, you're you're the critic I agree with. That's because I make you. No, even if you, I'm, I'm not, I'm not falling for your peer pressure. It's because you generally give great recommendations, and I know that we've got similar interests. So I guess I think start. one of the benefits is I I generally only bother reviewing stuff that I actually really like. Yeah. Whereas I think sometimes critics, when they actually have to review stuff that they don't really like, then they get a bit um, cranky. Yeah. Yeah, that's the word. But yeah, there's actually uh, not that many critics I would say I categorically agree with about anything. So Chicken Little, based on the well-known fable, and it's Disney's second attempt at adapting it after a propaganda cartoon it released during World War Two. I kind of want to watch that. Yeah, I want to watch that. Darzac Braff, this is this one, not the first one, <laughs> um, as the title character. Obviously, I have never seen it before. Who managed to watch it? It ruined my Sunday night, mate. Yeah. Sorry to be a bit spoilery, but... Um, guys, I, I watched it. <gasps> no, Jen. yeah. I mean, when I say watched, I was two writing, house points. Yeah, I was writing sport at the same time, and I did get up a few times and leave the room for like ten minutes and not bang your head against the brick wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it didn't have my full attention, shall we say? But well, I well you. <laughs> there was a whole section which I think was key to the plot, and um, my cat started playing with a catnip pig, and that I watched that. Instead. That was better. Yeah, yeah. it was really right. good. Mm. Did you like it? 
Um, okay, about halfway through it, I thought about people who have kids, you know, who are driving them mad on a rainy Saturday afternoon. And, you know, the cinema should be a sanctuary, shouldn't it? It should be their chance to sit in a darkened room for a few hours while their offspring are entertained in a warm, you know, safe environment. And I suddenly became irrationally angry that people, like, have to sit through shit like this <laughs> and pay through the nose for it because this film is bad, like, really really bad I felt like I was watching a lazy sequel to a film that doesn't exist <laughs> unless you count the fact that it rips off a load of ideas from other films yes it does and then does them much much worse yep. I'll start with a plot as is my want it opens in the town of Oaky Oaks and the town is sent into an incredibly destructive frenzy when Chicken Little a chicken who's that little. wasn't clear who's little but has no wings but we'll get to that later rings the town bell because he's been hit on the head by something and he believes that the sky is falling. When everyone comes to their senses, they decide that he was making it up. Oh, Although hit on the head by an acorn. Yeah. Although nobody seems to be that bothered to find out why he might be making it up. He's just mad. Now, this includes his dad, but not his mum, who is dead. Obviously. Because female characters are disposable, as we know. Then comes the compulsory fast-forward in time. This time it's by a year. And Chicken Little is still generally regarded as a loser. He is prone to mishap. He is. Um, until he enters the school baseball team, has one lucky shot and briefly wins this steam back in his community. Now, this thing goes on for way too long to the degree that I completely phased out during it. And the only thing I wrote down on my notebook was, watch that episode of King of the Hill. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, I'd offer that advice to anyone before even considering watching Chicken Little, right? Track down the episode of King of the Hill where Bobby finally makes it into a sports team, which oh, in I this case, in this case is the soccer team, yeah. as they call it. And Hank is on this real emotional roller coaster because he's incredibly excited that his son's been picked for a team. But on the other hand, he knows the fact that his son's been picked for the team means this team can't possibly win. That will tell you more about father-son relationships than Chicken Little ever could anyway back to this shit so just as chicken little's riding high on this achievement of of it he's hit by another piece of falling sky Fucking hell. right now at this point i could tell you that pretty much anything happened right anything at all and it would be less stupid than what actually happened this is when the cat and yeah. pig came into play so i'm excited to hear it's what so freaking done right i can tell you that the town of okie oaks turns out to be an actually a reality tv show what hang on did that happen oh no that's the that's the truman show yeah or i could tell you that the, the falling sky is actually a rip in the space time continuum caused by a plane crash wait a minute i don't remember that bit it, no that's that's donnie darko yeah or i could tell you that the falling sky is actually a piece of a spaceship as the Earth is about to be invaded. Uh, Isn't that no, War of the yeah. Worlds? Yeah. No, that's this No, that shit. did happen, didn't it? <laughs> that did yeah. happen. That is yeah. this shit. I remember now. So anyway. I watched it this morning, guys. <laughs> so fuck the plot, because the plot is ridiculous. Let's talk yeah. about the myriad faults this film has. Right. Can we start with the animation? It's terrible. The animation is appalling. Isn't it the first non-Pixar Disney wasn't there something about Pixar it like they they didn't make it with Pixar I could have animated it better with an old etcher sketch it's shocking it's just it's, it's, it is appalling I 
It might be. That fact might yeah. be right, Jen. I was I looking for the blank I to did, be amazing because I don't actually know I the answer I did to that. Wikipedia it uh, this okay. morning as well because I was a bit Research. like, hey, what, what's all this about then? Googled it. And right. I, I think there was something about Pixar. Okay, I'm going to start yeah. with the women characters. Now, the first great shame of this film is that for the first six months of production, Holly Hunter, a person with more comedy chops in her small finger than Zach Braff has in his entire body, was cast as the title character. But then Disney decided that it wanted to make the lead a boy. Obvs. So I Holly Hunter was jettisoned. To, we need to hear more from the man, Hannah. Quiet. Don't hear enough. There are two other female characters. Abby, the ugly duckling, who is inexplicably made a love interest right at the, the end as if they'd run out of ideas and thought... And she immediately loses all her smarts and intelligence and ability to walk. Well, speaking of that, the other female character is Foxy yeah. Loxy. yeah the star of the baseball team yeah. who after being struck by some sort of alien death ray yes that really happens she turns into a girly girl who likes singing and dresses yeah, no and it's so. treated like it's no bad thing well they don't want to put her back to normal because then she'll go out with the pig also she's a star of the baseball team until that little shit fucking takes it off her by like not even doing anything yeah, really by a lucky shot yeah right these two characters by the way are played by Joan Cusack and Amy Sedaris. Joan right? Cusack, Amy Sedaris. Oh, oh my God. Which brings me to the second thing that makes me hopping mad about this film is that it squanders <laughs> an incredible cast. It's a who's who of Ace. On something that is so try-hard funny that it's almost embarrassing to watch. It's uncomfortable. Aside from these two gems, it's got Steve Zahn. Steve Zahn. Catherine O'Hara. Mm. Queen. Fred Willard. Oh, fucking love it. Patrick Stewart. Yes. Adam West. Yeah. Camp Batman's yeah. in it. It's got a character commentating on a live event, something that it is almost impossible to fuck up. And that person is played by Harry Shearer, mm. and it is still painfully unfunny. Painfully. The dad is played by the guy you invented Happy Days. Shut up. Sunday, Monday. Happy days. It's absolutely riddled with fat jokes, which don't generally bother me, but they are literally ceaseless here. The few funny lines it's got, it spaffs completely by overplaying them or making them make no logical sense whatsoever. Or they just they just come and gone. There's a brilliant bit where a puffer fish in a car gets surprised and he just goes, poof, and it's great. But it's wasted because the rest of it is just a pile of excrement. Yeah. There's a bit where the dad has an email and it says, you've got hate, hate mail, mail, right? Which is quite funny. They tend to say it like five or six times. Your hate mail box is full. And it's only funny if um, Stuart Lee repeats a joke that many times. <laughs> it's not funny for anybody else, right? This film wants to be Shrek so hard that it actually hurts, it, both by using, like, existing pop tracks in it. <gasps> Which and are then, awful. And then, oh, seriously, Michael Stipe, I, 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 I want to have words with you my about notes, this. It just yeah. says R.E.M. What? Right? <laughs> it even has them sung by the characters in karaoke without noticing that the reason that this works in Shrek is that these characters are in some way enjoyable to watch. You've invested in them somewhat. The last 10 minutes, you, you could just lose completely because it hinges on the idea that the aliens are coming to destroy the town because one of their babies has been left behind, a baby that Chicken Little and his dad have, and they want to hand over, but they keep running away from the people that they should hand it over to. So the entire 10 minutes... It's just ridiculous. The baby, by the way, is an orange piece of fluff that has all the finesse and appeal of an Olympic mascot. And like Olympic mascots, seems to have been created entirely to sell merchandising. Yeah, he looks like the little guy that, that 
for the gas adverts he's like a little flame he looks like a poo though doesn't he on the gas adverts yeah. I think he looks like a turd this film makes no fucking sense its main characters are chickens that don't appear to have wings can I just point out that also Chicken Little in his bedroom has a, a, a rug in the shape of a fried egg which is the equivalent of us having a rug in the shape of a used sanitary towel <laughs> absolutely <laughs> every time something this film wants you to think is sad happens it hits you over the head with sad music and at the end it appears that Chicken Little's greatest achievement is not to have saved the town but to have had a film made about his life that's that's the thing that you're supposed to cheer him for and that's I what... fucking hated this film I'd like to say something Go for it, Jed. Right, so the whole premise of this film is that, like, they're all cunts. They're horrible yeah. to him. He's a child. Yeah. You're like, you're adults. He's a fucking child. I know he's played by Zach Braff and he's got absolutely zero charm whatsoever, but he's a child. What are you doing? Um, I would have just fucking left. Apparently the original title, Chicken Cunt, didn't play well <laughs> with the test audiences. I just think, like, if I was his dad, I'd be like, my son's being horribly bullied. His I'm going to remove him from the... But his dad's one of the cunts. His dad's one of them, yeah. They just need closure. Yeah. Oh, God. God. Outrageous. Yeah. Um, I had to vomit every time an appalling song came on, which yeah. meant I was oh, vomiting yeah. about every ten minutes. Yeah. yeah. I've got to say, the first time a horrible song came on, I went, oh, fuck. Fuck you, Counting Crows. And then I looked it up. It's not even a Counting Crows. It's fucking Bare Naked Ladies. I said, I bet this is Bare Naked Ladies, and it was. It's not even the Counting Crows. It's like worse than that. So when R.E.M.'s End of the World came on, and I remembered that this was a film from 2005, I immediately looked up when R.E.M. broke up because I thought this this might have been the reason. (laughs) But it was six years later. Unless they were just like fighting about, why did we do that fucking chicken little film? Terrible. What score are you giving it? Uh, I'm going to give it one. What? what? <laughs> yeah, I know, because I feel that Pocahontas needs to stand alone. <laughs> Fair enough. In its score of zero. Um, and for no other reason, this is getting just going to get one. One what? One, please God, never let me watch this film again out of five. That's it for this week. Uh, I am, as usual, sitting in my bedroom recording this and it's very busy traffic outside, so if you can hear it, I'm not standing in it. That's just how loud it is. We've had a lovely time, as always. We hope you have too. Next week, we have got Anne Miller doing a round-up of books and that. In the meantime, you can listen out for our Spotify playlist, which is loosely themed on the news. Keep your ears peeled for that this week. If you search for us on Spotify, you will find it. So, yeah, you can see us with your eyes if you want to come to one of our gigs. We have got a freaking excellent gig in March at the Leicester Square Theatre. Fern Britton, Ruth Jones, Sally friggin' Wainwright and Wumi Masaku. So we are well chuffed about that. Go to our website, buy tickets... You'll love it. There's loads more books in, so just, like, yeah, keep your eye on Sarah's webpage, which is www.sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue. And while you're there, you can also find out everywhere the old boss is doing her tour, because she's doing a lot of touring. So, yeah, have a look. What else? Oh, yeah, if you want to tell people we're ace, we really enjoy that. It's nice. Um, So please do. And indeed, if you'd like to say something nice about us on iTunes, that would be lovely. Don't say something shit about us, please. We don't like that as much. 
yeah, get in touch with us. Give us a little follow on Twitter if you fancy. We are at Standard Issue UK. I am at Inspiragen. Mickey is indeed at Mixter Noonan. And Hannah is at That Dunleavy. And yeah, so come and, come and see us. Sometimes we talk about stuff like the fact that I found a Madeline that had been in my room for 18 months while I was packing. 18 months. Who's that lady? Anyway, thank you very much for joining us. Join us again next week. It'll be lovely. Did you hear that? It's fucking loud, isn't it? Standard Issue for all women.